Every Woman is a feminist show that highlights the struggles, triumphs, and accomplishments of women and girls and the men who support them. Every Woman includes a rich intersection of female voices that represent a wide range of ethnicities, social and economic status, as well as political and spiritual beliefs, with the purpose to enact social, political, environmental, and economic change. The views and opinions expressed on Every Woman are those of the hosts and the guests and do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Midcoast Radio Project Incorporated, KKFI staff, board, or management. Hey, y'all. Welcome back. You are listening to Every Woman uh, with your host today, Sheila Johnson. Our segment is called What's Cooking? And so what's cooking today, y'all? What's cooking is uh, this is October. October is uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And we could not let this month pass away without um, giving, you know, some time to uh, to people who, women and, and even men who are battling uh, breast cancer or who are warriors, survivors in that particular fight. And so today we have uh, a very special guest. And uh, she's a special guest. She's very special to me uh, for many reasons because she's a personal friend, first of all. And uh, when breast cancer has hit uh, someone very close to you, it just, you know, it hits different. You know, that's what they say. You know, it hits a little different. And so let me tell you just a little bit about her uh, before you get to hear her a voice. And so uh, her name is Vanessa Chapman. Vanessa is a uh, a writer, a playwright, a jewelry designer, mom, grandmother, and friend and family uh, to, mi- to many of us. And we love her dearly. In 2018, Vanessa Chapman was diagnosed with triple negative metastatic breast cancer and given 12 months to live. But thanks to a clinical trial at the University of Kansas uh, Cancer Center, she's still going strong and has been need, which means no evidence of active disease for the last three years, y'all. So can y'all help me welcome Vanessa Chapman to the show? Hey, Vanessa. Hey, Sheila. How are you, honey? Great. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm so glad that uh, you could join us today. And so, you know, those of us who don't have that particular fight, you know, we can do the research, you know, we can kind of, you know, see what other people are saying, but you're, you're in that fight. And so it's not what you heard somebody say, it's what you know. And so I think, you know, with it being uh, October, being Breast Cancer Awareness Month, it is a perfect opportunity to uh, to do that and to share your story. Thank you, Sheila. You are welcome. And so I read just a little bit. um, You said in 2018 you were diagnosed with triple negative metastatic. So Mm -hmm. metastatic means it's come back, correct? Right. So. Um, metastatic means it's come back. So prior to that, I had breast cancer or prior to 2018, but I was uh, three years uh, in remission uh, when it came back. So it's different when it's metastatic because they're saying um, that it has spread outside of the breast. So in my particular case, um, the cancer has spread to my a little bit of my liver, 
uh, my spine and my tailbone. So that's making it, that is what made it metastatic. So, and of course, when it's uh, metastatic, it's considered stage four and it's incurable. Wow. So I initially was at a different uh, facility or hospital. And, um, you know, my oncologist, um, how it was even discovered the second time, it was just my annual or my, because I would visit him uh, every four months. And so it was my first appointment with him for the month or for the year 2018. So go in and have my normal uh, blood work done, all this. And it comes, he, they call me the next or within two days, actually. And they're like, you know, uh, we've seen some high activity in your tumor markers. We want you to get these scans done and um, see if possibly the cancer's back. And unfortunately, the cancer was back. And um, due due to some other issues with my insurance, I ended up having to uh, change over to KU. And thank God I did, because then I was offered the clinical trial. I'm going to back up for one second. Okay. When I was with the, um, when I was over at the other facility, and they bring you in, and they're telling you what the scans, you you know, show. So where the 12 months comes in is because um, the physician was like, well, you know, typically when it's metastatic, it's 12 to 24 months. Wow. And I'm like, what? Wow. You know, I'm like, out of here. I guess I'm out of here, you know. Wow. Uh, but the fortunate thing is that I was able to basically get a second opinion and, um, you know, uh, was able to qualify for the clinical trial. And then I was put on this clinical trial at uh, KU Cancer Center. Wow. So the the situation with your health care insurance actually ended up being a blessing in disguise. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Because I didn't want to leave that position. I mean, you know, I had gotten I was three years cancer free. Yes. And uh, and and I also feel like um, they did a great job with my care. So you don't want to have to start all over. But, you know, things happen for a reason. Absolutely. And uh, you can't always, you know, when change happens, you can't always immediately think it's it's bad, it's horrible. You know, change is good sometimes. And in my case, uh, this really was a blessing in disguise. Uh, I qualified for the clinical trial. And um, as you stated, I am now three years um, in remission and Really, they say no evidence of active disease showing. So I get scans every nine weeks, and thus far, I've not had uh, any treatment since December of last year, and there's it's still showing no evidence. Awesome. Uh, the, the cancer's not spreading. It's just dormant right now. Awesome. So... That's where I am in my um, in my journey, and I'm going strong. Uh, You know, I'm I feel good. I mean, there's other little things that you know that that I deal with, but 
in regards to the cancer, I am well, I'm moving around, I'm living, I'm traveling, I'm enjoying my family, my grandchildren, all of those things. Absolutely. Now, Vanessa, um, when I was reading over and I've read over this information before, but I was really kind of surprised to find out that in the United States, uh, the statistics say that one in every eight woman in her lifetime will be diagnosed with breast cancer. Yeah. Amazing, right? Wow. So, and, yeah. and, and, and it kind of makes, it makes me think actually of, you know, our circle and um, mm-hmm. in our circle, there's been two and there's what, 10 of us, you know, give right. or take. So right. that number, yeah. Wow. Uh, when I was reading that a couple of days ago, it just, you know, kind of made me think of, you know, our own personal circle and how that has impacted. Now, I was also reading uh, information about statistics on um, family history. Mm-hmm. Now, can you tell the listeners if what your story is when it comes to history? Yes. Yeah, so my mom died from metastatic breast cancer. Um, now, we're not sure if hers was triple negative. Okay. Uh, I don't know if I was ever aware of what hers was, uh, but my then my sister, who's two years younger than I am, um, she also had breast cancer, triple negative. Now, thankfully, hers has never, she's been five years cancer-free. Nice. And, um, you know, it's not returned or anything, but uh, she had breast cancer as well. The interesting thing is when they, uh, because I took the genetic testing and so did my sister, and it's not genetic. It's just the weirdest thing ever because you would think my mom had it, my sister had it, I've had it, that something will show, you know, in this blood work that it's genetic. And what we've been told is that it is not. Wow. So and just so random mutations. Then you go, so where did it come from? Right, right. Wow. And they don't know. Yes. And so you and your sister both were diagnosed with triple negative. Yes. Okay. And so and that's. We both did genetic testing. Okay. And could you tell um, uh, the, our listeners what is triple negative breast cancer? Well, Sheila, (laughs) um, so it's kind of hard to break down. Okay. Um, Let me, let me, let me just kind of tell you how I was kind of explained. Um, So it's like, uh, and I hope I'm saying the words right because I have some brain brain fog y'all yes so bear with me yes um take so your time like- this is very casual <laughs> um no no pressure at all you know and i think that you know our listeners are you know are compassionate about that you know this is a a topic that is so important to women and families you know and so take your time you know and uh if you get stuck you know i'll i'll try to i'll try to jump in and, and uh clarify 
So it is um, basically it's it has to do with my, my estrogen okay. receptors. Okay. And so um, what they say is that I'm testing negative for my estrogen receptors. Okay. So I, we have three if I'm and that's where the name comes from uh is it that we have three hormone receptors and your cancer was tested negative to all three hormone receptors to all three hormones so the estrogen uh is it progesterone progesterone I'm sorry uh-huh. and then it's the HER2 yes yes okay yes so it tested negative to all of those hormones wow and wow. so what it's saying um, is that triple negative it does not respond to the normal hormone therapies that they use or the medicines or whatever you know the normal hormonal therapies that they use for cancer okay so, so that means it's a little harder to treat it's a little harder to treat and so let, we go back when I was initially diagnosed so it's a different type of um, treatment that they give you when you have triple, triple negative. Okay. Because I think, and I may be wrong. I'm I'm, I'm not a medical student. I don't know med. I don't know all of this very well. But I think in some of the cancers, they can give you a pill. Okay. And you can just take that, and that's your, you know, and and you will take that for however many years or whatever, and you're fine. Well, triple negative, they can't just give you a pill. Got it, got it, got it. Um, We're going to take a quick break, Vanessa. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more uh, about triple negative breast cancer and even the impact that it has on uh, African-American women. And we are back. You're listening to The Every Woman Show on KKFI-FM. And this is the What's Cooking segment with your host, Sheila Johnson. And today we are talking to a very special guest, Vanessa Chapman. She is living successfully with stage four triple negative metastatic breast cancer. Welcome back, y'all. So, Vanessa, right before the break, we were talking a little bit about uh, triple negative and, uh, you know, kind of what it is, giving the listeners a a little bit of understanding of what it is and uh, what makes it different is that it does not respond to typical uh, chemo meds, you know, that they traditionally use for uh, breast cancer that has that is positive to one of the one or all three of the uh, hormone receptors. And so in my reading, I also found that African-American women are more likely to be diagnosed with triple negative than other women. Yes, they're more likely to be diagnosed with it and they're more likely to die from it. Um, Now, to be honest, I really don't understand why black women are diagnosed with triple ne- triple negative more often. Um, I think what I've read is because of their saying their their um, demographics, uh, lifestyle, you know, things of that nature. But nothing really breaks down what those things are. 
Right. Like, is there something on the cellular level with African-American women that causes us to be a little more uh, prone to it? Prone to, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, Now, what they're saying about women dying, black women dying from it more often is probably um, being late in the, you know, being diagnosed, uh, not doing self-care, you know, uh, early detect, early detection definitely plays a part in it. And then, um, at least this is what I sum it up to be. Yes. That's why a lot of, uh, a lot of women are, a lot of black women are dying from it because they are, they're, they are being um, diagnosed with it later. Okay. Could in that- the treatment. I mean, in the, uh, you know, with catching it versus early detection. Right. Could that be, I think in one of the articles I read, um, they were attributing exactly what you just said to the disparity in access to quality health care. Mm-hmm. So, exactly. But also, I will say, uh, Sheila, yeah, the access to quality health care, but sometimes we don't take our health serious. Yes. And I think it. I think a lot of it starts there. Yes. You know, we have to be proactive in our health care. And I say that, you know, you hear, uh, fill it on the first, uh, all those little slogans that yes. they have for, you know, uh, examining your breath at the, the first of the month or sometime during the month. Um, but a lot of women just don't do it. Yes. And a lot of black women don't do it because we put everybody else before us. Yes. And that's, we have to, we have to start taking care of us and being proactive with our health care. And you know what? When you're in the shower once a month, do your, you know, do your exam. That's how I initially found my first lump. Well, I wasn't in the shower, but I was in the bed. And, you know, you know, I would do mine just laying in the bed. Hey, let me just test, you know, real fast. Let me just do my little thing real fast, you know. And so I found a lot. It was on a Tuesday night. I'm in the bed. I do my little self-breast exam. And I felt this little bit. It was very small. And so the next morning, I'm like, okay, let me, before I get out of this bed, let me try this again. Because it was very tiny. I mean, it was just a little bit of something. But I knew it was something because I test, I did my self-breast exam every month. And I had not felt that the month before. Mm. So that's how I knew, even though it was very small. So mm-hmm. I call my um, doctor and I tell her, hey, I think I found a lump. Well, because I had a really great relationship with my doctor when she scheduled the mammogram, she also went ahead and scheduled an ultrasound because mm-hmm. she said, I just want to make sure even if they don't, if they find something, we can do the ultrasound the same day. We won't have to have you come back. And she knew my family history. Yes. So yes. that was the great thing of having a relationship with your family, uh, family care physician. Right. Absolutely. So I go, I have my mammogram and it's, the lady's like, oh, my God, it's just a small little knot. I just, it actually didn't even come up on the mat, on the uh, membrane. Wow. She felt it with her own hands. That's how she knew 
she was like, oh, yeah, I feel something as well. And then that's when we went ahead and did the ultrasound. And, of course, it came up, the ultrasound. And she was like, oh, my goodness, uh, what if I hadn't checked? You know, yes. because they, they rely so much on, you know, on the scans. And, and so I was like, no, I feel it right here. And she actually checked and wow. felt it. Wow. So we go, we do the ultrasound, and voila, it's there. And so then, of course, you know, I did a biopsy, and it just went from there. So I'm saying all this to say it starts with you. Yes. You really, we really do need to start testing ourselves monthly. And you need to test yourself because you need to have your baseline, you know, okay, are my breasts clumpy or, you know, you know, you need to know those things about yourself so that if something does come up that really is out of ordinary, you can say, hey, I found this. I'm feeling this. Let's get on it. You know, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah. It is. You know, you touched on a couple of things uh, when you talked about how it's just as uh, black women, we really have to shift the paradigm when it comes to taking care of ourselves. Um, we do. You know, there is uh, so many things that um, we, you know, that we experience and that we deal with that other women in other groups just don't. You know, it's just how mm-hmm. it is. You know, mm-hmm. and so what do you do? Like you said, you become active in your health care and you take control of it. Uh, and understanding the risk factors. And so for you, and I can honestly say to you, Vanessa, I never did self-exams until you were diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Even though my cousin Claudia, I didn't, I sporadically would do them. I mean, mm-hmm. every blue moon. But it still did not, I don't think, hit me like, oh, this could actually be something that I could deal with and until you were diagnosed. And and because I know that you were aware, you knew to do that because of your own family history with your mom. Yeah. And so because you found it yourself, I'm like, uh, yeah. So because of you, I do my uh, my checks every month. Uh, oh wow! But until then, I never I never did them all the time, and I do do them on the first of the month every single month, so I won't forget. <laughs> and I've got an right. alarm it's, set that says, "Hey, this is your self breast exam day. Let's get it done, girl. Let's get it done." But another thing uh, I read uh, that younger women, for them, they can do it when they're the end of the oh lord okay let me not quote that because now i can't remember okay so let's just stick with the first of the month okay <laughs> let's just stick with the first of the month because i may be giving wrong information now it just slipped my mind that's um, quite all right so i'm not even gonna say that that's quite but all right you you know like like sheila said you put it put it on your timer heck we have these cell phones and we have them set up and got timers for everything else yes uh, we definitely can to set those timers uh, to do your self-breast exams monthly. Absolutely. Now, Vanessa, were you already, when you were initially diagnosed, were you already at the 40 age where you're getting your mammograms every annually? I was. Okay. And so, um, what, what, how, how old was I? Oh, Lord. Yes, I was. I okay. was getting my, well, 
okay, let me go back. I was getting mine every year because of my family's history. Okay, okay, okay. Not, not so much of because of the age. Okay. Because I was, what is it, 40? They start 40. doing it at 40 now? Or yes. 40 years old every yeah. year? Mm-hmm. So I actually was younger than that. Okay, okay. But I was getting mine annually because of my family history. Okay, okay. Now, your sister that was diagnosed, was she mm-hmm. at least 40 when she was diagnosed? No, uh, she was... She was younger than she was younger than I was when she was diagnosed. Okay. Okay. So now she wasn't forty. Okay. And I'm not sure um, if she had been getting, you know, how often she was getting her mammograms. Got it. Uh, but yeah, she was younger than I was when I was diagnosed. Okay. Um, I was looking at a chart that uh, showed. Um, kind of like a breakdown of ages, you know, when women are being uh, diagnosed and the risk factor, like it group like mm-hmm. 20 to 34 and, mm-hmm. you know, and I would imagine being that young, I know when I was that young, you know, that, not that I'm old now, but. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I didn't, I would have never thought about that. Right. And that's why, um, that's why you really have to you you gotta you gotta take the initiative yourself. Yes. Because you could be thirty two. Yes. You're not in that age where you know, you're not in that bracket where they're saying uh annual mammograms. Right. You know? So you just have to make that a priority for yourself. Yes. This is something that I'm gonna do for myself. Yes. Like I said, you know, being in the you know, what I've read, a lot of women do it. You know, first of the month, they're in the shower. They just do it, you know. Um, But I typically do mine in the bed because I'm I'm just kind of stressed out, a little more comfortable. Yes. And so I'm able to, you know, just manipulate a little better. Yes. When I'm laying down. Yes. Um, Yeah. Kind of close your eyes and just allow your fingers to feel. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Yes, that's, yes. That's exactly what I do. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's that's how I do it too. So <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yes, um, there was something I was going to ask you. So when you have when you when you got your diagnosis, the second one, stage four. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How did you wrap your mind around that? How did how did you go? Okay, now look here. This ain't gonna be it. This is not you know because you know because with any situation you know our mindset is half the battle. And so how did you how did you cope? What did you what did you turn to uh, to help you cope with that emotionally? Well, first. Uh, to be honest, I I didn't. I was just like, okay, I'm I'm about out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but of course, now I will say this: I did. I never shared with anyone, um, you know that uh, what you know what what he said in that initial meeting, the twelve to twenty four months. I never shared that with anyone. Not my, you know, my sisters, my friends anyone because um, I you know I was like eh, 
I, I just can't. I just, well, one thing, I couldn't say the word. Yes. And then I was like, I'm just not going to burden other people with this. I'm just going to have to deal with this. Well, by the time I had gone and got the second opinion and found out about the trial and, um, you know, the survival chances, my my attitude was a little different. Yes. And so um, I am a, I, I do write. Um, so, but I wasn't journaling. And, and to be honest, I haven't really even journaled uh, either of the cancers either mm. of my situations with the cancers, I may jot like a little bit, you know, a little thing like how I felt that particular day, but I haven't really journaled like I think some people think I should have or have. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but what I did do, uh, I started writing the novel. Yes. And so I've completed the novel. I'm, I'm going to try to get it um, released sometime by the the end of this year that's my goal but awesome. I don't know what's the name uh, of that so novel did, the novel is um all over again okay um and it will be well I'm working on my website vanessachapman.com so that's coming so that you'll be able to at least uh sign up for his emails when the when the book will be available that's something I'm working on now, honestly. Um, but the one thing that I did do, I did journal. I mean, I did, uh, you know, start writing this novel. And that, I started that when I was diagnosed the first time. Okay. But uh, because I, you know, I was going through all my treatments and all that, I just stopped. Okay. So I didn't start back working on it until... I'm diagnosed the second time. Yes. So you would think that I would have been working on it while I was cancer-free, but I wasn't. I didn't do anything with it those years that I was cancer-free, but when I was re-diagnosed, I picked it back up. And, and I'm actually done with the book. The book is done. I'm just nice. editing it. So hopefully that'll be available. But also... Um, I just thought about uh, my grandbabies and just life itself. And, and I was like, oh, I want to live, a, you know, I want to live at least a little longer, you know. And so I do, um, I listen to healing meditations. I just pick them up off of YouTube. It's not any particular one. But um, I do sleep with, with those planes, you know, at night sometimes. I have um, my own little affirmation that I have in my bedroom on my bedroom mirror on my bathroom mirror and I say thank you for my healing yes. and that's taped on both of those uh, mirrors yes. and I say that all day every day yes 500 times or more a day <laughs> yes thank you for my healing um, and I always think I, tr I I think about my body just being whole and complete and um just healed yes. no illnesses no anything and so i i do believe that probably has helped me stay in med uh because i view myself as whole and i also don't say my cancer mm -hmm. i don't you i say the cancer 
or I say they told they tell me I have cancer. Yes. They said this. They said that. But I don't claim that. Yes. And some people may not understand that, but well, you know me. Yes. So <laughs> I I I don't say my cancer. Yes. Because th- that's not my this is not my cancer. Absolutely. This is you know. So those are just little things um, that I do that help me cope. And I think really that it's, that has helped me uh, stay healed um, along with the medicine. Because modern medicine is wonderful. Um, I thank God for modern medicine. Yes. Uh, so, you know, because that has helped me get to where I am today. Yes. Yes, yes. I um, definitely appreciate the, you know, because uh, words, because words are powerful, you know, and you and I now share, you know, a similar story because, as you know, Mm -hmm. I was diagnosed with a rare lymphoma. And I always say the scientists say there are there is no cure, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. but I. and, and I have a daily mantra, uh, several of them that I have said every day for the last 10 years, and I will keep saying them. Uh, and, you know, I do what my doctors say, and I go to the treatment and all of that. But like you, I see myself living. I see myself healthy and whole, and that's my mindset. And so, you know, and so for me, that's my reality, just as, you know, for you, that's your reality. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. Vanessa, if there was anything that you could share with someone who is newly diagnosed, you know, words of encouragement or just a tip or um, based on your experience, what would you share? What would you say to her? I would just, and I know people say this and, you know, because it was said to me, uh, but do not give up. That's so simple, mm-hmm. but it's very hard mm-hmm. um, because when you are going through those treatments, you are sick. Mm-hmm. You know, you you are weak. You are not your normal self. Mm-hmm. And so you... I mean, we are human and you can't, when you're going through that, you, you are like, dang, Mm. I I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be sick. I don't want to just let it be over. Yes. You don't, I mean, you know, and I, I, I think I'm a pretty strong woman, but when you're going through those things, when you're dealing with that, you are sick. Yes. You are weak, and you are, you do, there are times you like, look, I, there was, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I had that big thing, they had to call my sister, you know, they mm-hmm. get my sister on the phone, and she was like, Vanessa, you only have four more, you know, that your, your nurse is telling me you only have four more of these treatments. Surely you can do these last four. And I was like, no, I'm done. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not doing this anymore. Mm-hmm. I was so sick. I was so weak. But you have, you can't give up. You have to keep going. That's why you have to envision yourself how you were prior to. Healthy and whole and living and because it is not easy. The other thing that I will say to, don't cut your hair. 
I know they tell you. <laughs> I love it. They tell you, you got to lose your hair in the first treatment. You got to lose your hair in this treat. you know, all this. And it is, you know, you may start having the shedding and all that. But don't cut your hair until you have to cut your hair. Mm. Because there, I literally, this, the, the yeah, first time uh, I went through, it was several months before I lost my hair. Mm-hmm. Several months had gone by. Now, I did have to get it cut a little bit because, you know, it was shedding, but I didn't have to cut it bald. Mm-hmm. And so I would, I know, I know they tell you that. People, people say that. Mm-hmm. Just go on and cut your hair off so you won't have to go through the trauma of the shredding, mm-hmm. you know, of the shedding. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, not shredding, but of the shedding. But don't, I, me. Mm-hmm. And especially, I'm going to say this, especially you African-American women, mm-hmm. don't cut your hair. Yes. <laughs> you <have to laughs> because our hair is different and it withstands, it withholds a lot of, yes. a lot of stuff. Yes. And it was several months that first time before I had to actually shave my hair bald. Mm-hmm. And then this uh, second round, I'm literally just now losing my hair. Mm-hmm. But that's because we found out some other issues, you know, a mm-hmm. vitamin D issue that I'm deficient in vitamin D. So that's part of why I've had all this shedding. But I I went this entire time of being of doing chemotherapy with my full big yes. full natural hair. You have beautiful hair too. And it's beautiful just hair. now shedding. Yes. So that's my second thing. Okay. Yes. Yes. One of my friends who was being treated for breast cancer, she had a tip from someone which they said, get silk pillow cases because a lot of the time when your hair is shedding and loosening, the tugging as you toss and turn when you're sleeping or if you're lying and resting because you hurt, the tugging and catching from the coarse pillowcase is what usually drives people to shave their hair early so she was able to keep her hair longer and stay warmer and look more like the self that she's used to seeing for longer because of that tip nice that's a great tip and that is true because I never thought about that because Mm -hmm. I do sleep with the satin pillow Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I've I mean forever yes and I've never even thought about that probably is why or could have could be one of the reasons of why absolutely initially i had the, my hair for so long yes and i know culturally we've always been taught to sleep with a uh, a satin pillowcase mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah or a satin wrap or yes something yes. to that nature yes yeah yes that's a really good tip mm-hmm. that i never thought about because it's so second nature to me but that could be why yes yes um I was going to ask you, too, so now that you are uh, no evidence of disease, and so you are, uh, you finished your book, you are getting ready to get your book um, edited and all of that good stuff, so what, what's next for Vanessa? I don't know, Sheila, I don't know if it's a what's next, I'm just going to keep on living, you know, yes. I'm just... Just take it day to day, keep on living. I, 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 well, if COVID wasn't out there, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I would probably be doing a little bit more traveling. Yes, um, 
I did uh, for my 55th birthday, my daughter and my cousin uh, took me to Hawaii. Yes. And that was beautiful. Uh, I Yeah. So that that was like the best trip ever. Yes. Um, I turned 55 in August and, and my trip was like in September, but um, they planned that for me this year to to uh, take me to Hawaii. And so that was really wonderful. But the the, the next thing for Vanessa, I would say um, I'm going to just keep on living. Yes. And uh, try to get through COVID. Yes. And uh, get to you know, get out there in the world again. Absolutely. Because I'm basically stuck in the house, guys. So. Right, 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 right. Yeah, you know. You know, because you are definitely um, a social butterfly. Yeah. And, and so, um, you know, um, I, I personally, you know, learned a lot about socializing and networking um, through just watching you, you know, and... It's um, so seeing you, that's like your element, you know, and people love your energy. They love being around you. Uh, the art, your creativity is just amazing, you know, and um, there is uh, I'm looking forward to the book. Uh, yeah. I was going to say thanks, Sheila. That's 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 nice that you think that about me, because sometimes we don't. Um, when stuff just comes to you, just, you know, it's just, you don't think you're really creative or you don't think you're really, um, you know, that smart or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really, cause I, to be, I think my friend Sheila and I have another friend, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not going to say her name. I think they are probably the two smartest folks that I know. <laughs> So for Sheila to be like, oh, you're creative, you're this, that, that, that says a lot. Because I think she was probably one of the smartest women that I, in my in my circle. Oh, thank you so much, yeah. Vanessa. Vanessa, thank <laughs> you so much for sharing your story. Uh, and hopefully this will be like the first of many. Because you have a story to tell and there's value yeah. in your story. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Sheila. Thanks for having me. Yes. Um, I think we have a question. Well, we're just going to go to a station break right now and come right back after that. Yes. Thank you so much for, uh, again, Vanessa, joining us today. And there's something that I want to talk about that we didn't touch on. We talked about your book, uh, Mm -hmm. but you're also a playwright. I did write a play, Sheila. <laughs> Sheila says I'm a playwright. You are. <laughs> I say I wrote a play. <laughs> Look, if you've done it once, that means you are a playwright. <laughs> That's what they tell me. Yes. <laughs> but I did write a play, uh, Decisions, Dilemmas, and Denials. Um, very, I was, I was very proud of that that piece of work. Uh, because it started out with me just writing this one little uh, journal. It started out with one of my journal entries, and then I just uh, expanded on it to make it fiction, you know. But um, it's seven women, and the play is done in monologues and dance, 
and um yeah <laughs> it was beautiful yeah and so each woman had um there was a decision denials and dilemmas going on and so as yeah. you know most of us are you know are faced with that um it was a great depiction of what that could look like and then what those outcomes you know can be and mm-hmm. i also think vanessa that sometimes when we when we do something you know um and and especially as women i think sometimes we, we have a tendency to minimize our own value our own you know body of work I don't know too many people that can write a play. I don't know about you. So <laughs> that's not, that is that's a skill set. You know? Yeah. And so that is and I you know, and it would be great, you know, for you to produce it again. That would be awesome. Yeah, it's something that I've uh that I really have thought about. The the bigger thing is COVID. Yes. And I know, you know, people are out there, they're doing things, you know, I see Broadway is back and all that, but it's different with me because I can't get fully vaccinated because of my, because of another treatment that I'm doing because of my illness. So I can't just be out in the world like everybody else right now. Yes. Um, And so once I'm able to, you know, be fully vaccinated and all of that, um, then that may be something down the road uh, that I will look into doing because I've had a lot of, I get um, inboxes, you know, periodically. Are you going to do your play again? When can you do your play? Are you looking for actresses for your play? You know, that kind of stuff. And I haven't, you know, I haven't, um, looked at anything you know doing it in a while but I really would like to but right now for me it's just not I just can't be out there like yes. that right now yes I understand I understand uh it is definitely um I I think it's worth you know definitely a body of work that is worth sharing again I mean and you think about you know um the generation x you know they're now adults mm-hmm. and so oh definitely you know um mm-hmm. the, it would they could benefit from it you know they really could yeah where was it Thanks, the first time? you said you produced it once before when where did you produce it um it was produced um at cafe seed is it called cafe seed yes yes okay so um a guy that, um, you know, he was the, I guess he was the producer, he executive produced it, actually. Yes. Um, they had a vegan restaurant, and behind that vegan restaurant, there was a space where um, he was allowing artists to, you know, perform and, and things of that nature. And so um, the play was produced there initially, and then I had a, then I produced it on my own at the uh, Scion Lab, which used to be, uh, help right. me out, Sheila. Yeah, right okay? there. Uh, I'm actually looking at that. I went on your Facebook page. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it was right there behind Grinders. Right, yes, mm-hmm. behind Grinders. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I produced it myself there, 
And um, that actually, that play was sold. I mean, that performance was sold out. It ended up being, you know, sold out. Yes. Um, and it was, it was really nice. But just, it was just produced locally. Yes. Sure. And that was in, gosh, Friday, February 25th, 2011 at 7 p.m. It don't seem like it was that long ago. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. See, you're, you're and, and, way ahead of your time, Vanessa. You yeah, really and are. like I said, you know, people still, you know, to this day, I'll get a message, hey, are you going to do your play again? You know, uh, someone will send, will, you know, send me a little message every once in a while. So, um, one day, you know, when I'm when I'm able to to get out in the world fully, yes, uh, yeah, I will definitely make that happen. Yes, absolutely, that's awesome. Um, there was something else I was going to ask you about. Uh, we didn't talk about this either. Is um, your play, but you're also a, a jewelry designer. Yeah, I do a lot of little creative stuff. <laughs> You're very creative. Uh, <laughs> most of this, so people have to, you know, people are like, ah, oh, she's writing a play, she's writing books, she's doing jewelry. A lot of this is how I cope. Mm-hmm. Um, so the jewelry, um, I do, um, I make, you know, bracelets. My main thing that, I, that I'm that i focusing on now are uh, my baby bracelets I have up. Website or Etsy shop is called Leah Baby, and it's L I Y A H A B B A B Y, and I do you know personalized um, bracelets for babies. Christmas is coming up, so they make great stocking stuffers. Um, but I you know started making bracelets and barefoot sandals, and I do waist beads, but I do um, you know people just send me little messages can you make me this can you make me that you know so that's how I actually got into doing waist beads and but I typically my my main thing was barefoot sandals and those are um that's is off of my site Zamidre Designs yes. and Zamidre is um three of my grandbabies names put together uh, Zanaya, Maya, and Dravion. Yes. Um, I do have another little grandbaby after that. Her name is Aaliyah, hence Leah Baby. Oh, <laughs> so, yes. When she came along, uh, she said, uh, Nana, why don't you have, why don't you sell jewelry with my name? Oh. And so I said, well, I have to come up with something, you know. Yes. And so that's how Leah Baby was born. That's named after her. And then Zamidre Design, Z-A-M-Y-D-R-E Design, awesome. is where I sell uh, the barefoot sandals awesome. and awesome. crystals and that type of stuff. Awesome. So I do those things because those are the things that help me cope in life. That's so awesome, Vanessa. Thank you so much again for sharing your story and your time with us today. We really, really appreciate it. And peace and blessings. Thank you. Thank Thank you. And thank you all for listening um, to uh, today's uh, segment of Every Woman. Thank you. And stay tuned because Urban Connections is next.